Welcome back to the Living Well Podcast, Season 2. I'm your host, Mark Hennick. Thanks so much for spending the last season with us as we had conversations, really impactful conversations, about mental health and well-being and what it means to live well, especially now. Season two, we've got a great lineup of guests coming toward us. Uh, We're we're having a conversation today about finances, since we know that money uh, plays an important role in our mental health and well-being. I'm going to be speaking with Patty Lovett-Reed. She's the Uh, Chief Financial Correspondent for CTV News. I'll be checking in with her uh, a little bit later in the show. But first up, I've got Bruce Celery. Bruce is a a dynamic and electric keynote speaker on personal finance. He's a a journalist and an author extraordinaire. He talked to me a bit about uh, how our investments have been impacted, the volatility in the markets, uh, and how how anxiety-provoking that can be. But we start off with a bit around the coping mechanism of spending. Bruce talks to me about the three types of people who spend. There are three uh, distinct types of people right now, or types of circumstances, I should say. People who are living in a deficit. They've lost their job. They've lost their business. They're really uh, suffering because of all that has happened. And we talk a lot about that, and there's government programs. There's a second category, though, that's in surplus. And yeah, they're working from home, and it's and it's difficult, and it's a lot to manage, but not that much has changed in terms of their um, financial situation. Maybe they you know, saw the, the stock market decline. The third group are people who are fearing that deficit future. And that's different than that first category because there's people who are actually, that's what's happening in reality. And then there are people who are fearing that. And there's a whole bunch of both actions and um, uh, you know uh, pressures that are consistent with the fear versus the reality. Yeah. Now, isn't though, you know, you said you would have been more conservative or more reserved, more careful in the past a a few months ago. Um, But isn't pandemic spending or pandemic purchasing by definition emotional? Isn't all spending in some ways by definition emotional? Yes, absolutely it is. And in the before times, I would have introduced a process and a layer of rigor that would allow us to short circuit some of our impulses so that we didn't go by, um, I don't know, five dress shirts because it made us, we, we had that little dopamine hit when we bought those five dress shirts. Now I say, and I still want people to be intentional and uh, clear on why they're doing what they're doing. But I think they're, it, you know, that expression, money can't bought buy happiness. Not true. It actually can. And it, uh, you know, I don't mean an aggregate and I don't mean for a lifetime, but there are certain things that can provide us with uh, respite, with joy, with satisfaction in a time in which many of us want to like raise our fists to the sky and say, could I just please be able to go to a restaurant for once? <laughs> right. That, like that's the level of frustration that we have because so much of our life and our future and the things that make us happy has been upended. So what kind of, which industries do you think are benefiting the most or will benefit the most from this kind of change in behavior? Uh, so I think there are those that are around uh, physical activity. I went into a running store and they said, we have never been this busy. Why? Well, what else can you do? You, you can't go mm. to the gym. You can't, like, it's quite easy to just slap on a pair of running shoes and go. I think um, the industries that will be, uh, have such a hard time are restaurants, travel, hotels, anything that is um, performance or gathering related. So theater, concerts, religion, 
you know, I mean, I'm sure that the the, the donations uh, to to churches and all that stuff is down because people aren't physically there. So even though, like, from a macroeconomic perspective, talking about you know a nice short recession, I don't know. Like, I don't know where we're going to be a year from now, where we realize that the main shopping thoroughfares of the communities that we live in have been decimated because the restaurants and the toy stores and the clothing shops simply couldn't survive. Hmm. Are you anticipating a spending splurge? I think there will be some people for whom that will be true. I think by and large, though, we will have a new era of conservatism. And I say Mm. that again as a parent. So if you think about it from spending, but also from how we interact with people, she is now being um, formed by the constraints of our time. So when was the last time you shook someone's hand? I mean, Mm. uh, unless you were living in the same house as them, you didn't shake anybody's hand. You don't shake people's hand. You don't hug them. You don't touch them. And so she, this is the world that she's growing up in. And I think it's going to take a long time for those social norms to reset to what they were six months ago. And same with spending. So I, you know, Abby, it's her, her name's Abby, my daughter's name's Abby. We talk a lot about spending and we will say, listen, we're in a time in which we can't afford to turf that head of lettuce or not finish that jar of mayonnaise because this is a different time. So you look at how formative experiences were for your own parents. For my parents, it was the Great Depression. And I never really understood how my mom was able to scrape that mayonnaise jar so enthusiastically and make 14 sandwiches after the jar was already empty. But I think those will be behaviors that will be formed for my generation and for the one below us that we look back and go, oh, the reason I do that is because of the pandemic. And those are going to be, I think those will have legs. Those will exist for a long time. And in some ways I could see that, you know, psychologically, it's it's almost jumpstarting a scarcity mentality in a lot of people because we're scared uh, of losing. What if it happens again? Yeah. When when was the last time I had 14 cans of chickpeas in the basement? I've never (laughs) done that before. I now, whatever you need, you need chickpeas, you call me. And I think there is a virtue to that scarcity and Mm. there is a, whatever the inverse of virtue is. There's a problem with that too, because um, it's not very fun to live in that way. And it goes back to this notion of being clear on uh, your intention and uh, clear on what it is that you want, because hopefully there will be more thoughtfulness on our spending such that we allocate it towards the things that make us happy and give us the life that we want and less on the things that, you know, they really don't. So the the market has been, or, or from an amateur's perspective anyway, over the last many years, extremely volatile. Yes. There's, the boom and bust cycle repeats itself uh, many times. And I'm a, a fairly young guy, but I've seen it many times myself. Yeah. Um, do you think that this instilling of a, of a, a broad-based scarcity mentality in a way is going to start to level out the market on a macro scale? Will it make people more risk averse? I have no idea what is going on with the stock market right now. It makes absolutely no sense to me, the levels that we are at. So, uh, you know, I mean, the stock market moves up, down and all around, but it is now only about 10% below its pre-March levels, which is like, Mm. what are you talking about? The world is, this is the apocalypse. This is a horrendous situation. And uh, investors aren't sufficiently terrified. So that doesn't make any sense to me. In terms of the connection between the, the, the pandemic and the cultural shift, 
and long-term performance of the stock market. I don't think there is a connection there. The, the stock market moves on two things, growing profitability from the companies that are in the various indices that we follow and sentiment. And sentiment rises and falls, but um, provided we get out of this alive, both figuratively and literally speaking, the stock market will rebound and it will continue to return. I'm talking over the course of long periods of time between five and 7%. Mm-hmm. So I still believe in that long-term um, appreciation in the stock market. I still think it's going to happen, but it is volatile. It's just the way that it works. I'd like to take a minute to check in with Patty Lovett-Reed. Patty is the chief financial correspondent for CTV News. And I'm interested in learning more about where people are spending their money. I mean, Bruce is talking about how we're doing it to cope but really, what industries are benefiting uh, from these changes in our spending patterns? Ski shops, for example, they've already run out of inventory. Uh, people are looking to buy humidifiers because we're into flu season. Uh, we're seeing a little bit of stockpiling. But what I will say overall is that people coming out of the first wave of the pandemic have a much better idea of uh, what they need versus what they want. And we know for for example, uh, as the weather turns, people aren't going to be out in restaurants uh, to the extent that they wear. And we're going to see that in GDP numbers. And what we know is that restauranters need you to spend, but people are going to be still very hesitant to do so. So you're seeing a push-pull in a lot of different areas. And when you look at growth here in Canada, um, you know, when we came out of the first wave of the pandemic back in June, growth was about 6.5%. By July, it was 3%. Uh, By August, it dropped to 1.2%. So you can see things are slowing down and this economic recovery is going to be uneven. The Living Well Podcast is brought to you by WellCan, a free mental health and well-being resource offered by Morneau Chappelle. At wellcan.ca and on the WellCan app in the App Store, you'll find information, assessments, and resources to support your mental health. WellCan resources are supplied by Morneau Chappelle's expert clinicians, as well as through partnerships with some of the biggest companies from across Canada and around the world. And now back to the Living Well Podcast and your host, Mark Hennig. Assuming we're all going to be retiring eventually, whether it's in a few months or a few years, I, I needed to know from Bruce what that actually is going to look like. Do we have reason to be afraid? Um, what should we know about our coming retirement? Yeah, I would say if you're a retiree who either has a defined benefit pension or has been doing the things that one should do on asset allocation, there's no stress. And I think for seniors, sometimes you actually have to point that out to them. I was at an event, um, an event, I was at an event, a social event. No, I was at a socially distanced backyard barbecue, 12 feet away (laughs) from a senior who asked me a question. And she said, what am I going to do about all the money I've lost? And I said, Hmm. well, why did you lose money? And she said, well, haven't you followed the stock market? And I said, yes, I have. It declined 35%. And then and it rebounded. It's not off very much at all these days. And she was like, what? Mm. So people aren't connected to what the stock market has actually done, number one. And number mm-hmm. two, did you sell something? Because that's mm. the only time in which you lose money. So if you bought it for $100 and you sold it for $80, you lost $20. But if you're still invested, you didn't lose a penny. 
And so I think it bears uh, repeating for people who are in that drawdown phase of their life that they actually may not have lost anything. And if they do need to cash their shares, uh, you know, maybe they're not even at the level below what they paid for them. I think the bigger concern actually is for the millennials who are now going to live in a fundamentally different economic environment. I think I could be wrong. I think not across all sectors, but uh, unemployment is outrageously high. And I think for us to be inclusive about the, the mosaic of our country, we need to look at all levels of the, um, the economic strata that we find ourselves in. If you are in a lower income job or a service oriented job, this really is the apocalypse for you. If you're a, a software developer at a tech company, this is fantastic. You get to work from your 20th floor condo in downtown major city. So it is very, very different depending on where you are. And we don't talk enough about the people who are really dealing with dire, dire circumstances. Hmm. Now, when the uh, this is going to cash in eventually, you mentioned when mortgage deferrals stop, you know, when credit card companies stop being so uh, forgiving for for whatever reason. Uh, And I don't think that that's far away. So what kind of impact should people expect when all these bills come back? Uh, I think they will have to have a uh, a very important and difficult conversation with the folks that they love about what the future is going to look like. So uh, one of the things that I think is really important is to get grounded in reality, like what's actually happening, because there is a big difference between what's actually happening and your fear about what's actually mm-hmm. happening. And, you know, the expression, you know, stick your head in the sand. A lot of people stick their head in the sand. And it would be really helpful at this time to take your head out of the sand and look at what's going on with you financially, both in the present and in the future. Because once those government supports uh, conclude, we will see what actually happens for the labor market and all those all those sorts of things. Yeah, I I mentioned uh, as we were booking this, I wrote about my own personal experience with this for CNBC back in the spring. And when the pandemic hit, we, you know, I work primarily in the events industry. I do uh, I I, I do 40 hours a week, you know, six days a week, uh, not doing stuff like that, often not making any money from it. But my primary income earning is being out in front of people performing. When that all went away, when all those contracts canceled, all the consulting contracts canceled, I was very quickly faced with. Uh, initially having one of my best years yet to suddenly not having any income at all. Yeah. I had three uh, three months of savings left, and we had to make some very quick decisions, including talking to a bankruptcy trustee, should that have been an option, because we had no way to carry that debt to continue. We had no idea what we were going to do. Yeah. Now, of course, it ended up, because I think we acted so quickly and we put things in place uh, to mitigate that, it ended up turning around uh, fairly quickly. It ended up being our own personal volatile situation, but not everybody's going to have that same benefit. We're going to come out of this with probably still very high unemployment rates, bankruptcy rates, default rates. And I imagine that's going to impact the market long term as well. Yeah. yeah, Or the economy in general. 100% is. I think um, just going back to what this uh, 
question about what people can do about that is yeah. there is um, a, a old and valuable model that has us look at what's within our circle of influence and what is within our circle of control. And there is so much that is outside of both those circles right now. You can't, you know, we can't control the pandemic. We can influence the risk of us contracting COVID-19 by social distancing and hand washing and mask wearing, but we can't control it. So when you think about uh, when when all our listeners think about their their personal finances is to focus first on what you can control and you can control largely your spending, you know, whether or not you're ordering takeout um, versus borrowing my chickpeas for lack of a better reference point. And then there's there's things that you can influence and you can influence your income. You can uh, influence your career prospects. There's lots and lots that you can influence. And if you focus on those two things, it really, A, will make a difference in your results, but B, will make a difference in your well-being because you're not obsessing over the infection rates and, oh my God, did you hear what happened in Brazil? It's a disaster. Well, unless you're going to Brazil anytime soon or have family living there, it is well, well outside your circle of influence and your circle of control. Bruce Celery, thank you so much for joining me. Bruce is the author of the Globe and Mail best-selling book, Moolala, Why Smart People Do Dumb Things With Their Money, and most importantly, might I add, what you can do about it. Bruce, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. We're going to have a more robust conversation on retirement with Patty Lovett-Reed in just a couple of weeks, so make sure you tune back into the Living Well podcast for that. Until then, I'm Mark Hennick. You've been listening to the Living Well Podcast. Mark Hennick is our host and executive producer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the show. There's no cost involved. You just hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a comment and a rating to let us know how we're doing. For more information about the show and the WellCan Project, visit wellcan.ca. The Living Well Podcast is produced for Morneau Chappelle by Mark Hennick and Eye Contact Productions. I'm Dave Trafford. 